Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, March 7th. The sunshine swing is upon us. Qualifying action already underway on the grounds at Indian Wells. Of course, all of us looking forward to the next month on the pro tennis calendars. We have two 1,000-level events back-to-back. We'll have the opportunity to see so many of the top players in the world compete. But of course, something we alluded to on Sunday's pod is, in my opinion, one of the biggest storylines heading into this sunshine swing as, of course, both of these events happen in the United States. You have the action at Indian Wells, then you have the action in Miami, and perhaps this will shine a spotlight on this moment in American men's tennis. You look right now, we have 11 Americans inside the top 55 of the ATP rankings, all of them but John Isner, born 1995 or later, it feels like we do have a generation of American men that may not be guaranteed to win slam titles, but they'll be competing in the biggest rounds, at the biggest stages, at the biggest events, and certainly with the opportunity to compete on home soil over the course of the next month, it feels like now would be a perfect time to discuss where each of these Americans stand entering the 2023 Indian Wells. We now have the draw released here on Tuesday, so we can offer a bit of a preview as to a forecast, I should say, of how we see all of the Americans ending up over the course of the next two weeks, and if we're going to try and explore a topic so magnificent, so monumental. You know I like to have some help along the way. Thankfully, I do, as joining me for the second time this week on our show is a returning champion of returning champions here at Crack Rackets, a man who may have fallen asleep during that introduction, but of course brings, uh, I suppose, energy on each and every podcast that he joins us. You know him best as an editorial producer for all things Tennis.com and Tennis Channel. It's our dear friend, David Kane. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing tonight? I mean, I would hope you would have me help you out for a podcast that was essentially my idea. Not to interrupt <laughs> you and not to take credit, but this was something that I came up with on Sunday. It wasn't that long ago, but either way, I'm happy to be here. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you once again. And for what it's worth, I now have I record this is behind the glass here folks I record both on zoom both mine and David's audio but I also record a uh, I think it's what called garage band audio file as well and when I'm doing the introduction now because David makes faces at me I have the zoom hidden behind the garage band track so I don't look at you until I'm done with my opening monologue and then I'm like okay I'm open to distractions because you mouthing the intro I just David I, doesn't just make faces or, David lip syncs the entire intro down to the day and I always have to like dart over to the calendar I'm like what day is it again it today is Tuesday March 7th yeah got it it's very true if you ever are doing an SNL impersonation or you know you're you're casting for SNL and they're like what impressions do you do you like I do a mini break introduction it's a niche introduction but I do it better than anyone else and this this makes sense now because you've never broken when I do it I'm thinking I'm making (laughs) I'm really pulling a face right now so I'm surprised that you're making it all the way through yeah, it's because your performance is too compelling. That's why I had my, to block my performance. It out. Yeah, exactly. I know Oscars are coming up, right? I think you'll get a Best Supporting Actor nominee for your performance, and nothing if not supportive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking now in my head, I have a buddy who I do my roommate from college, Michael Azaparty, who is probably the best impression I do in my life. I just, I I have his essence down and I can do the voice. And like, even his his parents were like, okay, that is pretty good. And I was like, I know it is. Um, and he does, he's the only person who does an accurate portrayal of me. And he has a deep voice. And so he'll like go into a higher pitch and be like, oh dude, shut the f- up. And like, just start whatever. It's really funny. And it's, you know, again, I, I would argue that's probably the best portrayal. I don't think I have a DK yet. I don't think I have the voice. I feel like I have a bit of the physicality. It's a bit of like a Daniel Medvedev Squidward. I feel like I see like the arms kind of going back and forth because he's just so excited to talk about college tennis and, very, and, and regular tennis. Yeah, I'm very emotive. That's a, that's a fair description. But no, it's it's a pretty good impression. Anyways, We're modern men. We're emotional men. Yeah, exactly. And if you can't do good impressions in life, what's the point? All of that said, David discussed 
this podcast was his idea, very much so. That's why I'm very happy to have him back. I still don't know exactly, we're five minutes into the show, what the title of today's episode is because, yes, it's a preview of the American men in the Indian Wells draw, but it's also a draft. We're going to go through all four of the quarters and discuss which of the American men we think is most likely to advance furthest in this Indian Wells draw. Of course, not only will we go through the quarters, but of course at the end we'll answer the question, who will be the lamp, the last American male player standing? Of course, always a fun thing for us to monitor. But again, all that said, exciting show for all of you listeners today. A shout out to all of you who tune in day in, day out. I appreciate the feedback to the episode David and I did on Sunday. I thought it was a particularly fun one, and so I'm glad many of you did as well. Of course, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All of that said, DK... Let's talk Indian Wells draw. Let's talk about the American men first. There are 14 American men. Now, qualifying still going on as we're recording this show. But as of right now, there are 14 American men in the main draw at Indian Wells. You have four of them seeded. Taylor Fritz, who, of course, is the defending champion, which is a crazy thing to say out loud. He's the number four seed. I was going through the draw and saying whose quarter is whom's and it was hilarious because I was like, oh, my God, it's the Fritz quarter. He's the number four seed. Like, am I really writing Fritz quarter? I can't, I can't believe that's – You could call it the Holgeroon quarter if it makes you feel better. <laughs> it may f- make me feel more comfortable. But, yeah, again, you got the Alcaraz quarter, the Fritz quarter, the Rude quarter, the Tsitsipas quarter. Let's start at the top of the draw with Carlos Alcaraz, the number one overall seed. He's got four Americans in his section. You look at the Alcaraz draw, uh, he's got Tommy Paul, Brandon Holt, Michael Moe, Jack Sock. Now, if Brandon Holt wins his first round match, he would face Carlos Alcaraz in round number two. You look for Jack Sock. He's got Gregoire Bure, who has been in the top 100 for the past three years now, but you definitely feel like that's a winnable match for the wild card Jack Sock, who hasn't had the greatest start to his season on court wise. But anyone who's seen him in person, and I have had the opportunity to, I don't think he's playing bad tennis. And so, again, Gregoire Bure, a very winnable first-round match, of course. Outside of that, you've got Michael Moe. How healthy is he? That's the big question coming off of his injury. He's got a first-round match against Quinton Halise. If he wins that, he would face 17th-seeded Tommy Paul. And that's obviously where we have to start this conversation because you look for Tommy Paul— You know, yeah, that first round feels very winnable, but, you know, a third round match for him, he'd be taking on Hoopy Hercots. If he makes it to the round of 16, he'd be taking on eighth seeded Felix Ogier Aliasim. And then, of course, if he wants to get to the quarterfinals, or or if he gets to the quarterfinals, he'd have to take on by seed Carlos Alcaraz. It's not the easiest draw on paper. There's no doubt about that. But we talked about this. On Sunday, Tommy has made nine quarterfinals since the start of June uh, last se- uh, start of June of last year. He, since that time, would rank top twenty-five in both hold and break percentage. One of just eight guys you'd be able to say that about. He has looked like a guy who is very much in the lamp conversation at events now, moving forward. And so I ask you, looking at this draw, do you think Tommy's got a shot at being that last American man standing? Well, first of all, the fact that we're even framing the conversation around the men's draw in this way is very surreal to me. I mean, we go back to the third episode of Breakpoint, which recapped the 2022 BNP Paribas Open, and they did some ADR, quote unquote, commentator analysis. And one of the throwaway lines was, many people are wondering if Taylor Fritz can break through at a home tournament. And I was thinking... No, they weren't. (laughs) In retrospect, I guess it was pretty prescient if there were any commentators asking that question on air. Well, to that good for them. How funny was it when Taylor Fritz was asked, are you the best American in Breakpoint? This is one of the best moments of the series. And Taylor was like, well, look, I don't want to sound like an like when he's like, look, of course, I want to answer that question that I'm the best American, but I don't want to look like that, like I would answering honestly. And it was like, finally, a moment of honesty. Like It this was a rare, honest moment for. in yeah, Breakpoint. Exactly. And, and, but, and again, in, in 
Taylor's defense, as we discussed on Sunday, there are many ways to answer that question. Who sure. is the best American right now? There's there's stats, there's history, there's momentum, there's heart, soul. There's there's yeah. all many ways to answer that question. So it's looking at the quarter, the first quarter, where Tommy Paul is the highest ranked American. It's hard to pick against him. I mean, there is a possibility where Brandon Holt takes on Carlos Alcaraz. Brandon Holt, who still owns more family U.S. Open titles <laughs> than Carlos Alcaraz. But I, I would think that that Carlos would get through that one. And just by seed and who is in the best form, it would it would appear to me that Tommy would be the last American standing. The question for me is, I think, can he get past a Hubie Hercats? I mean, the last time they played, I believe, was in Paris in 2021. Two very tight sets. And that was, you know, before Tommy was even half as good as he is now. And that was an indoor court, you know, very, very slim margins. And and Hubie was able to pick up the win there. Maybe he gets through that one. And, you know, he's gotten on some roles at some of these these Masters tournaments in the last couple of months. And perhaps he does, you know, set himself up for a big match against Felix Ojealiasim. I mean, you look at the possibility of him having to then beat Hercats, Oger, Aliasim, and then Alcaraz. That feels like a very tall order still for someone even as vastly and quickly improving as Tommy Paul. But again, as we discussed before the draw came out, you know, last year would have been a big shock for someone like Taylor Fritz to win the uh, win a tournament like Indian Wells. And now without Djokovic in the draw with Medvedev just kind of coming back into his own, it really feels like anyone's game in the sense that this is the question of whether an American man can win a big tournament. This is one of those opportunities for them. And I think this might be the first time that if, if one of them don't, there might be some disappointment because I think there's still a bit of, wow. of of gap where you could feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm slam good, but, you know, he was able to – there was one that was able to do it last year. And if they don't do it this year, I feel a little off, especially if Alcaraz doesn't come out, you know, uh, come out of the gates at, at, at the way that we know he can play. So we're going to go on our first tangent, and that's just poor planning by me. I got so excited to start previewing the draw Fair that enough. I forgot to discuss this early, but you bring up an excellent point this moment for American men's tennis. And it's something you and I discussed on Sunday. Obviously, the idea of having 14 Americans in the draw, four of them seeded, one of them the defending champion. That's a position we haven't been in. Who was the last American to win Fritz prior uh, to win Fritz? To win Indian Wells prior to Fritz? Was it Agassi? Like back in the 2000s? I'll ask you to look that up as I continue this monologue. But again, four weeks, best players in the world. We're going to have at least 10 American men in the draw in both Indian Wells, obviously, and Miami. This is a chance for American fans to see these American players, be there in person. Perhaps, you know, again, your kid falls in love with them or you as a fan become compelled because you hadn't really watched them particularly closely. But maybe it's the serve of Shelton, the forehand of Wolf, or just, again, the well-rounded athleticism and excellence of guys like Paul, Fritz, and Tiafo. It's a very compelling moment. And certainly, you know, again, the tangent I want to go on are the stakes here. Like, how important is it for an American to get to the championship weekend in both of these events? Because I don't think winning the title would be it would qualify as a disappointment. But I think that's the stake for me. Is it's just like I need one of you guys. Quarters is still like a round early. I need you in the final weekend because I want those gates sold out. And like, if it's Alcaraz, if it's Sinner, if it's Iga. You know, if it's maybe even Sabalenka, you're going to get that no matter what. But God, if it's Goff or it's Fritz or it's Pagula or Francis, like that's the thing is this is the moment to put butts in seats because Americans are having success. And those are the stakes to me. I'm curious if you agree. So first of all, you were right. The last American man to win the uh, BNP Paribas Open before Taylor Fritz was Andre Agassi in an all-American final against Pete Sampras in 2001. And before Fritz, the last American man to make a final was uh, John Isner in 2012. So it's mm -hmm. a pretty, uh, a pretty much of a, a barren field <laughs> in the last two decades when we talk about American men's success. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think if you could see, if you could get three American men in the quarters and one in the final, I think that's a successful turnaround for this. I mean, because there's just so many of them right now that any one of them could slip into a quarterfinal. And you think just by sheer volume, they could potentially monopolize the quarterfinal stage. Could they monopolize the semis? I'm maybe less confident in that, but I think we have at least one or two that are maybe final quality based on the way that the the 
the season has shook out thus far, but I think we're, I mean, as much as they try to lower expectations, perhaps for themselves, we are at a point where it feels like this is a big, this is an opportunity for them. Like you said, maybe if they don't win the title and they finish runner up, then too good. But I think you do want to see at least one make a really deep run here. See, two in the quarters would be great. Three, especially looking at the draw, which we have now, and we'll get to that. I think you're asking for too much. But I just think there's got to be an American man involved in championship weekend in both Miami and Indian Wells. Like, I agree with you. I think that is now the standard. Now, I don't think it has to be the final. I think Medvedev's playing too well. I think, again, the gap, you know, as good as the Americans have been, Nori's played excellent. Hercats is playing really well coming in. Sinner, if healthy, had a lot of momentum to start February. Now, of course, both Sinner and Alcaraz, the big asterisk, is if healthy. It'll be fascinating to see how Rune, Runa, uh, excuse me, plays on this surface. It's slower. It's higher bouncing. Uh, obviously, I do think there are guys, you know, Taylor's won it. Tommy, Francis have never lacked in athleticism. They'll be fine here, and we'll get to their results historically here in a second. Um Again, that does, I, I know I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm holding the standard probably too low to say I don't need to see a player make the final. I'm saying semifinal. I need a semifinalist. Is that fair? Or still too it's fair, short? but it's a little boring. I yeah. think I want to see. I mean, we've seen we saw Tommy Paul make a Grand Slam semifinal, you know, what's kind of the equivalent okay. on the Masters level, probably a Masters final. I mean, I, I agree looking at the draw. It might be hard to squeeze out three just based on where yeah. everybody fell in the draw, but you know, between one and two, certainly I think you want to see at least, at least two. Well, that Tommy Taylor and Francis, well, that Tommy Taylor and Francis all went into three different quarters. That's like, I, that would be the argument for your point is it's like, yo, like the top three are all three different places. It's your quarter Taylor to come full circle here. Like you got to get at least one. And you're telling me one of the other guys can't do it as well. That I, I like, I think that's a good argument. I think it's a fair argument for you to make. That's why I've budged on the two quarter finalists. Yeah. I mean, Compromise. I think if Tommy wasn't in, if Tommy wasn't in the Alcaraz quarter final, uh, Alcaraz quarter, maybe I would feel differently, but although actually he wouldn't have to play. He wouldn't have to play Carlos to make the quarters. He would play him in the quarters. So well, it's interesting. There is that to consider. Very true. I also think I feel a little bit more confident in Tommy than I do in Taylor coming out of his section, which is will get us back to, again, this Alcaraz quarter. And, I mean, let's get the, the non-Tommy names out of the way quickly. Brandon Holt, first round. Holt's going to play uh, a qualifier. Brandon Holt over his last 52 weeks, 41 and 26 overall. You look for him, has you know won matches in Australia at the U.S. Open as well qualified in Dallas doesn't have the biggest weapons very smooth I think the better the opponent the better the Brandon particularly from the ground I would also <laughs> it have I told you my Brandon story I had to have about 2020 so. national indoors oh I mean listeners have heard it before I love Brandon Holt who I've gotten to know over the years former USC All-American really really nice guy to- I've never tested positive for COVID Fortunately, extraordinarily grateful for that. I'm knocking on wood as I say it out loud. Seems like a very specific qualification to say I've never tested positive for COVID, but go on. Well, you're gl- <laughs> this is why we get there. Because Reading comprehension. I had, yeah, well done. Uh, <laughs> I had COVID in February 2020 because at the national indoors, men's, women's was fine. Second week of February. Third week of February, everyone got sick. And patient f- zero at the 2020 national indoors was Brandon Holt who just got all of us sick. And, like, Brandon was very ill and, like, played through it on some days where he was just healthy enough. And, by the way, his team goes on to win the national indoor title that year. So, like, gladiated through. But, like, he was patient zero. And just, like, three teams got sick on this, three kids on this team, three kids on that team, me and the – like, Michigan lost in the semifinals from a doubles point in five first sets up. It was it was a little bit of a choke job. Uh, although, did we have any business being there? Some scholars would argue no. Um, and so people – the next day, I didn't have a voice. And people were like, oh, you don't have a voice. Like, is it because you got so passionate about Michigan? And I was like, no. I was like, I'm sick. I was like, this is this is not – no. I like – yeah, I didn't do it. Um, this is pre-masks, pre-everything. Um, and so shout out to Brandon Holt, whom I love um, and is, again, the kindest guy in the world. 
I don't know if he's got the biggest weapons. I'll tell you what, he wins this match. He goes from to a new career high. He's currently sitting at a career high in the live rankings, 188. It's a very winnable match. He wins it. He's into the top 175. I think he could be a top 100 player. I agree. No, for yeah. sure. I mean, to beat Taylor Fritz at the U.S. Open first round, the way he was able to do it, I think for him it's more just experience and navigating the nerves. I mean, that's that's for me what's more disconcerting at this point more than anything really technically. I mean, wasn't he up two sets in his second yeah. round after On beating RBA. Fritz? I mean, this is yeah. – I mean, he no. had opportunities. It's, it's not too. for lack of, of, of ability for him. So I think – just the more that he plays, hopefully, the less we'll see of that. Very so I always well find said. that very worrisome. Very well said. The other guy, uh, obviously, again, Mo, it's a health question, although I did predict at the start of the year he would end this season inside the top 100 if healthy. And thus far, I have been proven correct, so shout out to me. Jack Sox, the fascinating one. Because, like, on paper, do you know the amount of people who are going to have him beating Gregoire Beret, then beating Francis Sarundolo in the second round and getting a shot at Felix in the third round? Like, that's just the easy on paper. I don't follow tennis that closely, but I'm going to do Tennis Channel's bracket predictor. Like, everyone's making that pick. Sox no, 29 and 21 over his last 52 weeks. You know, currently sitting 154 in the rankings. I do think he's fit right now, despite the loss to Pakotic in Del Rey, his last match that he played. I mean, it's his life. It's now or never, right? Yeah, it, that's it, what it I was going to say. If yeah. not now, when? Yeah, and so it's a good draw. Like, he gets to the third round. I mean, again, what's an easier draw? Sarundalo or you look for Tommy Paul, a Quinton Halise who's been a superstar on the Challenger Tour over the past year and has worked himself into the top 60, has a serve, has a forehand that's a real weapon. You know, it's that or Francisco Sarundolo, who really struggled in the South American clay court swing, has semifinal points to defend in Miami. Like, honestly, I think Halise is the tougher opponent right now. And so, like, I, I guess the other case is Sock. He's the wild card. I mean, it's funny to think of, Kanton Elise is having a serve because I remember Kanton Elise in juniors <laughs> when he played back-to-back -back matches against Francis Tiafo and Omar Jessica in the final and hit maybe a combined wow, David. 40 double faults. It was, I mean, T Francis was so upset that he lost that semi. He almost like broke the net. <laughs> and it was just so, because he, Kanton couldn't serve. Francis got nervous. It was just like a brutal end. And Andre Rublev was in the quarters. Like it was a very fascinating boys singles draw back in 2014. I can't, I'll never forget it. But um, well, you know who made the 15 final? I was in Florida. That was the year, one year I was in Florida. So that's a very like, wow, very foggy year for me. I know Dalma Golfi won the girls. That's, that's hilarious. I don't remember anything Taylor about Taylor beat Tommy in the final. Oh, that's right. First of round. Course. Oh, 15. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that's the three of round, them. First round, Tommy beats Felix in what was like because Tommy had won the junior French yes. and Riley had won the junior Wimbledon, and they, it was the best do you know who won Kalamazoo that Miskina, Sharapova and uh, Kuznetsov yeah. of, their, of their time and I know I don't know who Kalamazoo Francis now. beat Kozlov in five sets in the Kalamazoo mm. final best Kalamazoo final in history they make them play five sets in Kalamazoo the finals best of five because the winner All gets right. a wild card uh, Look, fair go read Clet Lewis's recap it's still maybe my favorite thing I've ever read um, and it's the best Kalamazoo final of the 21st century, maybe the best in the event's history, which is say, like her words, not mine. Um, but I, I agree. I adopt it. Anyways, um, yeah, it, and I remember her writing because Felix was always the youngest to do everything. And, you know, 2015, Felix is 15 years old, challenger wins and not like winning challenger events, but it's one matches at challengers. And it's like I'm like, oh, man, like. Tommy might get upset first round and like if he doesn't he could win the damn thing but if he loses first round to Felix like that'd be I, at that point I would have been crushed and he didn't um anyway yeah, that's still very early Felix for me I remember when he made yeah. the French final the year after but that's yeah, that's sure. that's very yeah. like watching Ostapenko play uh Anna Kanyu the year before she wins a uh, junior uh, <laughs> on court that, nine no less yeah that's a good one all right, all right who did who did Konya lose to in the final, Hurricane Tyra Black. No, right? she won that match. It was oh, probably yeah. one of the worst matches I've ever oh, seen. Oh my God, the breaker. I still remember looking at the tiebreaker score and being like, what is going on here? I took my ex. We were sitting up in the bleachers <laughs> on court 11. It was the longest match. And it was just yeah. like me trying to show him tennis. And it was like <laughs> the worst example of tennis that I have ever seen. Kanye couldn't find the ball. Oh, couldn't find the court. Tornado, so you know, is not a particularly aggressive player. So it was just like two and a half, three hours of just 
Chuck Fatazi Kuznets of a level tennis for anyone for any uh, real heads who remember that one. That's that was that 2007 really US Open semifinal. That's, that's a brutal funny. one. Oh, that's good. This is uh, the six was, degrees right. of separation here. Canton Helis to, <laughs> to Francis Tiafoe to Felix. Was it Hurricane or Tornado who played in the final? Hurricane it, was tornado. Tornado. it was Tornado. It was Tornado. You're right. Yeah. I think I was wrong there. I appreciate uh, the correction. Yeah, like that. You know, it's crazy. So we're over a decade now from one of the pivotal junior slam finals i remember when sock beat kudla in the junior i think it was 2011 junior u.s open final like that was a big one for me um it did happen you're making a face i think it was either 10 or 11 but yeah because like, i remember when he won mixed he won mixed with udan one mixed with udan in 2011 yeah. so maybe it was 2010 maybe that's what uh, it was. yeah but it was just like because again those are two bad it's like oh maybe they're playing in a junior slam final maybe we've got a couple well, who are this good 2010 was the year that Gav- Gavrilova played Patintseva, and Patintseva right. famously, allegedly, threw her trophy in the trash. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know what? It was 2010, because then the next year, 2011, Bjorn Fertangelo beats team in the Junior French Open final, and it was like, oh my god, we have two! And so, yeah. And by the way, still the best junior from that era, slash college player who didn't go pro. I'm telling you, Alex Damajan, if he turns pro after his freshman year of, of college, he walks into the top 100 of the pros um but we'll put all of that to the side dk that was a good tangent i think it was worth it i um, had one more link but i feel like i'll save it no I'm no no, no. Already... do it give it give me the final i link. did see bjorn fortangelo play 2009 juniors when my friend okay. and i were looking for refuge from udan petrova we were just like <laughs> I, I was like i need to get away from this and we went on court eight and watched uh, Bjorn Fratangela lose quite badly to a Tobias Blomgren, who was never anyone <laughs> in the junior circuit. But I remember just seeing the guy with the red hair with the name Bjorn. I was like, oh, he's meant to be somebody. And then two years later, he won the junior French. And now he's people engaged. Don't realize, he's. People don't talk enough about how good Philip Pelowa was in the juniors, making four junior slam finals, loses the first two, wins the next two. Like, come on. He was a guy. Junior boys is always a bit of a crapshoot. Junior oh, girls feels a bit more of like a feeding system, but for the for the boys, it's very much like it's it's your who's who and your who's who. Well, that, that's funny. Last <laughs> year's Junior Wimbledon champ Millie, I forget how to say his last name. He's supposed to go to Wake Forest, but then he won Junior Wimbledon. Not the first. Would have been the second player of late to win Junior Wimbledon and ultimately go to Wake Forest. Who was the first? Come on, this is an easy one. Mm-hmm. He and I share a religion. Oh, no. Yes. Not Noah, not Noah Rubin. It is Noah oh. Rubin. Went to Wake Forest. Of all places, Noah Rubin was a deacon. I mean, Noah Rubin, who trained at Sport Time Limbrook, they had a cutout of his sure. of his face and rest of his body. I was like, a body, a body cutout? What do you call it? That's funny. <laughs> I'm just saying, historically, my people have not been deacons. And so, shout out to Noah for branching out. I like it. Um, All right. The man of many talents. <laughs> again, we went over the Tommy stats at such length on Sunday, so I'm not going to do them again, but he's been really good. How far does he get? I think for Tommy, a successful run beat here Hoobie. beats Hoopy. He has yeah. to beat Hoopy for it to be a successful run. And then if he, you know, gets Felix and it's three sets and he loses, that's unfortunate, but it's not terrible. And then if he beats both Hoopy and Felix or otherwise makes the quarterfinal against Alcaraz, smashing success. If it's against someone other than Alcaraz, then you know, I mean, because we're also assuming that the seeds hold and they may not hold for whatever reason. You know, mm-hmm. Alcaraz could get injured. Felix could choke. I mean, there are a lot of things that could happen in this in this section, especially it feels like now that we're in this sort of this kind of draw. I mean, without Novak, without Nadal, without Federer, this is a post big three draw and it feel, things feel a lot less certain than perhaps yeah. they did in the past. So, I mean, assuming the seeds hold, he should at least make the fourth round. And if they don't, sky is the limit, as I often say. That's. A great way of framing it. None of the big three are in this draw. It's the Wild West. Someone else is winning. Now, Hercots is probably going to get to the third round. He plays the winner of two qualifiers. If Tommy gets through that, I think that's a success. Like, for sure. If he gets through that, I think he beats Felix. I do. Now, I would be one of the suckers who would pick Sock over Sarundalo. Even a slow, high-bouncing hardcore would be a great surface for Sarundalo. I just think Sock's forehand, his kick serve on this surface, come on now. I think he made the Indian Wells Challenger final before losing to Stevie in 2020. That was like the last match before COVID. I, I don't know. Tommy I feel like I've been burned by Sock a little yeah, bit. Oh, me too. Often. Yeah. I think uh, 
I think Tommy loses third round. I think Hoobie beats him. I think Hoobie's going to have a really big tournament. I think Hoobie's playing well right now. He's serving lights out. He's had success here before, a couple of quarterfinals. Although, if they get him at night, if it's a night match, mm. slower conditions. It's interesting. For Tommy Ball. It's very, I mean, very we're talking about a Miami Open champion. And was, as we know, Miami and Indian Wells conditions, not the same. Yeah, but Hoobie's been pretty good historically in his career at Indian Wells also. And so, like... We don't have to go through the results. I'm just, I mean, I'm pretty sure. Remember the Hoobie over Federer match? That was what, 2019, 18, I think, where Hurkot's beats. I mean, just looking at his career. All right, we're going to do it. Sorry, folks. Right. We can't help. Two quarterfinals. Two quarterfinals. Yeah, in his career, two quarterfinals at Indian Wells, um, which is pretty solid. Yeah, he he lost to Federer. That's what it was. Four and four beats Nishikori Shapovalov Pui back in the 2019 Indian Wells. Oh, so good, Pui. Yeah, that's funny. Um, All right, Pui. Yeah. <laughs> well done, DK. All right, that's the Alcaraz quarter. I do. I think Tommy goes third round. I think he goes furthest in that section. Yeah, I think Sarandolo beats Sock in the second round. Let's get to the Fritz quarter. Lol, Fritz quarter. He's the defending champ, obviously, at this event, coming off of a semifinal in Acapulco, title run in Delray Beach. Obviously, was sick at the end of his match. He'll be recovering hard over the next few days, but you know Taylor Fritz is going to be ready once they roll the balls out. Now, from an American men's tennis perspective, this Fritz quarter is probably features the most fascinating matchup because, God, wouldn't it be fun to watch a Ben Shelton-Fritz battle in round number two. And Shelton's See, what, get you, through. you want to call it the Ben Shelton quarter. This is the const- I found the consternation here. It's well, not the Taylor Fritz quarter. It's the Ben Shelton quarter. No, it's the Michael Emer quarter. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look... Fonini, it's an interesting because it's a slow, high-bouncing surface. Obviously, for a guy like Fonini, tons of success on the clay courts in his career. Shelton will provide him plenty of pace, and Fonini actually has a great backhand to absorb redirect pace. So it's not like a horrible matchup for him, but oh my god. Ben's serve on this surface, his kick serve on the deuce side. Like I've already said this before. Since we're rehashing stories— the best quote I've ever gotten in des- describing what it's like to face Ben Shelton serve as a player who placed him in college is like, yeah, dude, if he makes the slice serve out wide on the ad side, you're just f***ed because either A, he's hitting it as an ace, or B, you get your racket on it, but now he's got a first forehand, and he's not going to miss that first forehand. And so, you know, talk, you know, Runa said it. Everyone who's played Ben has said it, and you see it with your eyes. That serve is a weapon. Oh, my God. The kick wide, though, on the deuce side is going to have you a full court over. He's going to serve and volley well, uses his length, his explosion, and is a, just a good volleyer. Like, this is going to be a fun surface for Ben. Man, his weapons versus Taylor would be interesting. Um, like, that's a 7-6 in the third sort of match. I mean, that's the barn burner. And so let's just start right there. A, does Ben get through Fabio? Because let's be clear, it hasn't been the easiest sledding for Ben Shelton here so far this year. Uh, you look for Ben in the month of February— First round loss to Giron, 4-4, four four, Delray Beach. Now, played well against Runa in a three-set loss in Acapulco, but, you know, hasn't won a match since making the Australian Open quarterfinal. Lost three first-rounders here this year. Like, it's not a certainty that he beats Fabio Fonini. So where are you with Ben? Oh, this is a huge opportunity for Ben Shelton. Oh I mean, we go back. To, I'm going to totally steal your thunder on this. I'm going to give you the Dude, hot take. I'm going to say Shelton it. beats Taylor Fritz. Yes! Listen— I, there was a time last year where I felt like Taylor Fritz was bionic. And what I started to realize, I think later in the year was that probably one of the bigger issues with Fritz is perhaps the mind. I mean, I think we saw what happened at the U S open. We saw what happened at Wimbledon against Nadal, who was clearly injured, doesn't get that one finished. And then it was by all accounts, you know, one of the favorites to do well at the U S open and then loses to, to Brandon Holt. And this is kind of a similar scenario if not worse for taylor fritz because he's going to be up against a very vaunted hyped young american guy potentially should he beat fonini you know and fritz has got to feel a lot of pressure you know and the question the answer to the question are you the best american guy is not as clear as it was last year and so maybe that takes a knock at his confidence as well i mean it could go one of two ways either it you know it puts a fire under him and it makes him feel less pressure or it makes him feel too much but i will i will let you i see the floor i'll let you interrupt with your hand up to that point, just to add to that, 
like Taylor is not the young buck in that match. Taylor's the veteran who's got like, he's in the Isner role for the first time where it's like, Hey man, like you're going to lose to Ben. Like Ben's now going to steal your thunder because I asked this to you as a question. Ben beats Fritz. That's the headline at tennis.com for the next week, right? Like, it's just like, roll out oh the bed God. profile. Like, we got to do it, right? Everyone's Joel, ready to Joel Drucker him. will have a field day with that one, for <laughs> sure. God bless you, Joel. I love you. But that's going to be his big story for the first week if that happens. Well, that's, be, so that's, that's yeah. the question. Is it, isn't it like, if you're writing the script and you're doing the narrative of the Ben Shelton career arc, if he's going to become the guy, as the kids say, if he's going to become him, doesn't he win this match? Yeah, that's this is this is your hypothesis playing out right now. If yes. he is all that you've said that he is and we he's all that we believe him to be, he wins this match. You know, he makes this this is his breakthrough. I mean, he's coming off of a grand slam second week and quarterfinal. You know, lost, quarter, yeah. I, I was like I was at fourth or quarter. I was like I don't want to say second week. I'm just going to whatever. Um but yeah, this is this is part of the myth making now. Like this is this is one of those you know, sliding door moments. And if he doesn't do it, then you start to think, well, what is, what is the potential here? And, but I think we're starting to see that it's not all in one Alex Gruskin's head. I think this is a bit, this is real. This is realer than I was going to willing to give a credit for when you were picking him to be as the number two American. And I was ready to throw my hat across the floor. Well, Ben, I just do the research of Ben. Oh my God, Ben! No, no, no! I don't even know which. I don't even know which Ben. I'm hoping Ben Shelton. Sheldon, not Rothenberg. I swear, Sheldon, not Rothenberg. David, my ruddy complexion. Yeah, (laughs) it's your it's your serve. Ben's not Uh, listening. It's fine. Yeah, well, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, not Not at this stage of the game. He turned off at at, uh, Putintseva Gavrilova. He's like, I'm done. (laughs) Neither Ben Shelton makes it to minute 36 of the pod, and Ben Shelton would listen to a college pod. He wouldn't listen to this sort of thing. Um, To your point. I, where I slight disagree with you. If he doesn't win the match, I'm not selling any of my Ben Shelton stock. No, but, but we're we're at a certain trajectory right now, and well, that's would what it perhaps is. Perhaps slow it's down. Just if, like, that's, if he doesn't, that's exactly it. It's just like, but if he is on the rocket ship, then he's going to win the match, and like, yeah. and I, and he could be on the rocket ship, and it's just very rarely that you get that sort of opportunity. Mm. And look, I don't need to butter up Ben because he knows this. He's got the charisma. He's got the smile. He's got the personality. He's got the weapons that are made for television as well. Like he's got it. He could be, he was him. And I always say this, sometimes the most valuable thing about college tennis, yes, it's time to develop physically, emotionally, find passions off the court, et cetera. But it's also really fun to do a lot of winning. And the thing, and I'm going to ask, I've asked Steve Johnson about this. You can go listen to the times we've had him on the show where I say like, despite all the things you did physically, is does it still help you at times when you're on the pro tour to be like, well, I was the best in the world at something. Like I was the best college tennis player in the world and I had everyone chasing me and I knew what the pressure was like week in, week out, day in, day out of being expected to get a victory. And Ben got that last year. And just like you can't replicate being the best at something like that in a lot of different places. And so I think like Ben – is ready for this moment. That's why you have to talk about it because it's like, again, it's in the realm of possibility. It's in the list of the plausible scenarios coming out of the first couple of rounds, the first weekend of Indian Wells, is we're talking Ben Shelton. So first of all, a gayer co-host would have said that Ben has the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Second of all... (laughs) I feel like the Stevie Johnson kind of like, I love him, but I feel like that kind of undercuts your argument because God bless Stevie Johnson. His, he's had an, an incredibly ordinary ATP career. And I don't, I don't know if we predict that. But ben I Johnson. don't, I don't agree with you there because for Stevie to have such a, I don't want to say limited because that's not fair, but to, for him to max, because do we both agree Stevie maximized the most out of his career? Like for him to get to what was it? 29 in the world. Like that's probably shooting past what his ceiling is from a skill set perspective. And I think that gets to the mental side where it's like, look, deuce point, he's going to find the big first serve, find the big first forehand because he's accustomed to those pressure moments. And was it in finals? No. Was it in first round, second rounds that allowed him to make some money and sustain a top 50 career? Yes. And ultimately, that is the ball game. 
fine. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push back on Stevie Johnson. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, you hit a sore spot. You do it. You, you, that's funny. I'm not gonna push back that hard. I mean, I don't again like when you win that many matches, you would hope it would translate to something bigger than 29. I mean, yeah. it's certainly for someone who is as uh fun to talk to and be around as Stevie. I, I've been in some uh some world team tennis backstages with Stevie Johnson. He, the way he interacted with the players always warmed my heart. So I think I'm not, if- not going to push you. I'm not going to be too grinchy on him. I actually think if you ask players who's your favorite, I think Stevie would be – if you said name your top three favorite Americans to all the guys, even the younger generation would all have Stevie in it because he's the GOAT. Like he was the co- – he is the college tennis GOAT and like that matters. He is an active GOAT in something in the tennis world that these guys would be aware of. But anyways, you're saying Shelton over Fritz? You're going to go that bold? I am. I like I- it. I don't know if he's the one that goes the farthest here. Well, so after that, that's the question. You look for him after Fritz. You'd face the winner of probably Emer and Baez, which three hours put it on the calendar right now. Well, it feels um, like the question is whether or not J.J. Wolf has a similarly okay. epic run and then gets the rematch against Shelton in the fourth round. Yes, sure. fourth round. Well, I also that, that requires him to beat Demon Hour. So, I wouldn't sleep on Mackie either. I'm just saying, Mackie is a California kid. You know, again, t- you got a bunch of college tennis number ones, by the way, in <laughs> Shelton, Mackie, and J.J. Wolf here. It's the Alex Gruskin quarter. Move See, over, but, Taylor. Yeah. That's why I'm mad it's called the Fritz quarter. This should be the Gruskin quarter. See, if, um, but if Mackie is a Gruskin guy, Holger Runa is very much a DK guy. Someone who's yeah. like of the, of the, the European pedigree, who was yeah. an academy kid, who just has that like – delusional self-confidence that he is born to be this next great <laughs> this next great hope they're like this is like this is very much not where i expected myself to be hyping up all these young american guys like if i could see myself 15 years ago i would be horrified so, but i mean it's so, certainly justified but that's so, it i i do think holger this is a big opportunity for holger as well who's not american but goes without saying i kind of like mackie's draw better than i like tommy's like i would rather face runa i think than hercots right now um, just given the, again, experience level on this surface, the seed, you know, Mackie will have somewhat of a home crowd. There will be some rowdy Mackie fans who he'll get to come to Indian Wells because, again, he was there for He's in L.A., you know, or he's a California kid. I think he's a Northern California kid. I just still. feel like a slower hardcore is going to favor Holger more than it might even – it might blunt yeah, Hoobie but, but, more than it helps. Okay, yeah. but the kick for, for both. <laughs> I mean, again, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm just saying like Runa, Kesmenovic, and – oh, Sinner's tough. That's that's tough. Um, versus Felix, Hercots, and whomever Tommy would play first round. Like, yeah, Mackey's path is a little tougher, but not by much. Like, it, it's pretty even there. And then to your point about JJ, Fucevic round one, Demon Hour round two, he wins that. He might play Chorich round three. It's a really tough draw for all of the Americans in this section. Where are you? Uh, where are you with JJ? Just quickly, the serve, the forehand. I think we talked about him a little bit earlier, but I mean, like, I think he is legitimately top fifty good. You look at his results. He made a final in Italy. He makes a second week at the Australian Open, losing fourth round to Shelton. He he's back to you know semifinals in Dallas, like. He's pretty clearly a top 50 hardcore guy. Very consistent. I mean, we look yeah. at this tournament as sort of like take two for our yeah. Australian Open standouts, whether it's Paul yeah. or Shelton or Wolf. But like most of them have been kind of putting in the work in the last couple of weeks. This isn't really like I kind of feel like in the past, maybe some an American guy would have a good run in Australia, perhaps. And then, you know, come into March cold and then, you know, not be as fantastic as they could have been. And I feel like the, uh, most of them, Fritz included, you know, not to to uh, to denigrate Taylor, who's a defending champion, comes in with a, quite a few matches under their belt. So I think that this is, it's not just that they have potential. It's not just that they are at that age where they should be peaking. It's that they're coming in, all of them, with a decent amount of momentum. I mean, you look at where... Even Mackie, by the way, has like Mackie's played pretty good ball over the course of the past month, just because I think he's a guy. Sorry to again to interrupt you, but because I think he's a guy you wouldn't think of necessarily Mackie quarterfinals in Seoul to end last season, quarterfinals in Florence, semifinals in Naples, wins matches in both Adelaide warm up tournaments, third round Australian Open, semifinal Delray Beach, quarterfinals Acapulco. That is a good run for Mackenzie McDonald. Like that is a guy who's playing top 50 ball. For sure. I mean, it's, I guess it speaks to the rest of this American men's feel that he sort of is not 
Exactly. A little bit more ordinary. 2013, we're freaking out about Mackie McDonald. We're like, this guy is – Dude, he might give Brian Baker a run. Like that's what we're saying oh, about Brian, him. Oh. Yeah, that's mean. That's mean. Oh, but like, oh. but like, you know, again, or like, move over Robbie Ginepri, Mackie McDonald's in oh. town. Like, you know, like again, I'm just throwing daggers at you. But you know what I mean, right? Like, wouldn't a decade ago we'd be amped about Mackie? Yeah, I mean, any one of these guys would be like yeah. heads exploding. I mean, I think it almost it speaks to the fact that there are like so many of them that yeah. I feel like the American press score hasn't really even been able to focus. Like the, just the synapses are just going insane. I mean, look, if if Mackie beats Holger in the second round, that's not not a terrible loss for Holger, but it's still kind of like a because you know you're looking for him again. I'm I'm seeing him at a different tier than a Mackie McDonald, but certainly. If he does, it would shock me if it happens just based on his momentum playing, you know, playing in California. seems like not a total no brainer, but I th- yeah, I kind of uh, this does. It just feels like Ben Shelton's moment. I don't know. I feel yeah. like you really you really converted me because he did it at a slam. I'm I'm very easy. to I'm very easy. So to did JJ, you just have though. to do it on a big stage. Yeah. And I mean, how, t- a couple how fourth tired weeks, uh, fourth rounds too? how tired is Demon? Mackie just wait, wait. Mackie just beat Nadal right at the freaking Australian Open. Like, talk about doing it at a slam. I know. Does that count? But it kind of counts. We just had this conversation about people beating Nadal in January, I know, and it was I about know. Demon Hour. Yeah. Like, by the way, they beat Nadal. That's no. This is, it's giving saying, Seren- it's giving Serena Williams post baby slam finals. I mean, it's just I, like mm. I get it, but I'm just saying he's a primetime player, and like again, okay, I think the hot take. For JJ, because I think JJ, we agree, is going to be a top 50 guy. But if you want to get yourself into the Tommy, into the Taylor, I mean, I want I want JJ seated at slams. I want JJ at least top 32 because I feel like he's just he's so talented. Then on this slow, hard court with his serve and his forehand, go beat Alex Demonauer. Like that's and that's your lit. He can hit through this court. Exactly. Here we go. And like. I mean, we just did the Demon Hour Pro side, uh, but like this is a match I've seen Demon Hour lose, like a hundred percent. And so, like that's what makes that one so fascinating. If he can get through that, he can absolutely get through Chorich. Yeah, that's like, the thing. So this is the most interesting section. And so I ask you, DK, we'll just go through them one by one. Does Mackie beat Fuchovic? No, sorry. Does Mackie not play Fuchovic? Does Mackie beat uh, uh, Krajinovic? Sure. See, lose to Runa. <laughs> I would think. I mean, I could I could see like a, you know, a four six six three six two for a Holger Runa. I kind of feel like he figures it out. Maybe has a slower start. I mean, provided he doesn't cramp or have any other like physical issues. That was sure. that was actually a little scary that that popped up again. We haven't seen any real like cramping from Holger in the last couple of months, and for that to happen in Mexico is like a, a row. Um, but I I kind of feel like Holger is in a space where he can. He can boss as a as a number seven seed. He did it pretty well in Australia and then ran into Andre Rublev. So I kind of feel like he's this is a solid section for him. And then the match against center, perhaps a bit of a toss up. And so who do I think? I mean, you're going to say if you're going to say Ben, I'll say JJ as as high as I've been on 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 Ben in this quarter. I kind of no, I wonder. Ben's yours. Ben's yours. You made the mm, pick already. You get fine. You, I'll you take it. It's, this dominion. is the prime of Ben Shelton. Yeah. <laughs> I have dominion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are thousands of texts that are going to leak about yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was giving you commercials. Um, all right. I'll tell you what. Here's a pick. One of Shelton is either beating Fritz, Mackie is beating Runa, or Wolf is beating Demon Hour. They're not going 0-3. Is that fair? Fair. Okay. And it would be bad, I think, if it, what they do go. I agree with you there as well. We're agreeing again. This is what happens when we pot in a little look behind the curtain. We're potting for a second consecutive day here. We're recording this Monday night. Spoiler alert. Um, we're in rhythm, DK. I like this. Uh, this is good. Um, all right. You have been. Man, we just did the demon pod. Like, JJ's also a day one crack rackets guy, Mackie's a day one crack rackets guy. I hate to do this to you. I'm going Mackie ball. I think in California, I'll take Mackie to beat Runa. But then I'll beat Kesmenovic, lose to Sinner. I'm going to take Demon over JJ. I don't feel great about it. So if I have JJ losing in the fourth round to Sinner, do I have Fritz? If Fritz gets through Shelton, he's beating Baez. 
then he's... I, mean, I feel like I do feel like if Fritz beats Shelton or makes it into the third yeah. round, I do feel like he makes the quarters at the then, very yeah, least. You know what? Because I think American. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. That's all I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, okay. Because I think <laughs> Americans are going to hit that two quarterfinal threshold. I don't feel very. I feel horrible about this pick, but I'll go with Fritz. The winner of Fritz Shelton is making the quarterfinals. I'm not yeah. sure which one of them is going to win it, but they're going to be guy number one. That's the most interesting section of the draw. Now we get to the most boring, and this one we're going to blitz through DK. I promise. Even though it's the rude quarter, which I know you love so dearly. Um, you know what? Bonus question, because I love you. How far does Casper get? Do you not want to open those wounds? I feel, I don't know. I feel pretty good about this draw. I mean, he plays the winner of Dieguito, oh, my heart, and Francis and Francisco Correa. I mean, Frederico Correa, oh. I'm sorry. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, Tachinov or Fokina in the fourth round. Ah. Can I ask you a really mean question? Sure. Are you sure? Sure. Okay. From today till the end of their careers, who gets higher in the rankings? And I guess it's tough because one of them's a little bit higher than the other. But more likely to get back in the top 20, Dominic Team or Diego Schwartzman? <sighs> that is mean. I bored you. Oh, I mean. You could say I, neither. I'm going to say I would say Schwartzman because I don't actually really know what's wrong with Schwartzman. Whereas I feel like with Team, it's a bit more obvious. Like he's. Sure just a broken man no offense at this point like i just i kind of feel like diego's a bit burned out and maybe you know that means he tapers off and his career comes to an end but he's still kind of young he's my age pretty much and so i i kind of feel like he's not totally done done and so there's still a clay courts you know there's there's always another clay court swing on the atp tour so you know all it would take is a couple of weeks for him to kind of like get back into gear a little bit. So I would say Schwartzman over team. I don't know if it's totally, it's just been so random the way that Schwartzman has regressed. Whereas team is like in process. I kind of feel like it yeah. conversely. And it, it kind of feels like you based on that argument, you would think team is a better shot because he's working his way back, but team's been working his way back for like a year. Whereas Schwartzman has been struggling for six months, I would say. So I would say I would say Schwartzman over team, and I, but I do feel like Casper should make the fourth round here at, at the very least. It's a slow, hard court. He hasn't played a ton of matches. He should be fresh, but we're also starting to see what happens when you don't take a proper offseason, Casper. I mean, that's just dumb, dumb, dumb decision to play as many exos as he played. Did not hit the ground running the way he was supposed to. I mean, this was this was a prime opportunity for him to be gaining points in Australia. Doesn't do it plays that awful match against Jensen Brooksby. I mean, just ugh. <laughs> unforgivable <laughs> so, for Brooksby to not even pull up and win the next one. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so a couple of things. If you like, I know you don't love Casper Root for his game, but if you do watch Tomas Martin Echeverria. <laughs> Casper Root for his game. <laughs> you know, yeah, okay. That might have been a. I like I, his I, forehand. I mean, I, there are there are prettier players that if they don't hit the forehand like that, I would probably not be paying attention. Okay. So I, I take that. I take umbrage okay. at that. Okay, <laughs> then I retract. Statement retracted. Um, I just was meant. I, his game isn't the only feature that uh, no. that you enjoy. Perhaps that's the better way of framing it. Um, it's diverse. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, Tomas Martinacheveri, give him a look. Um. Look, I mean, again, I think the I would go with team just because he's so clearly a step slow right now, and maybe he can improve that. Schwartzman just like it's not working. Like I just don't know how. Like it's just like sorry, this game's not working anymore. Uh, you need a bigger weapon, and like I, I can't. I don't know. Like at least team still has a weapon. Like maybe he can find the physicality again. Now, in terms of finding American success in this section, I'll tell you what: you'll have one winning a first round match as the only two Americans in this section play one another in the first round. It's John Isner versus Brandon Nakashima. Isner at least a little bit more success this season than Nakashima. He made the final in Dallas before getting knocked out by the goat. Ebing Wu, uh, three set loss to Fritz in Acapulco. So it hasn't wasn't a bad month of February. You look for Nakashima. Shima, tough start to his 2023 season, one and three overall, got his first win against Altmaier, but two in love lost to Mackey was tough in that second round in Acapulco. You look at the career head-to-head between these two. Yes, of course, they have faced off, and credit to Nakashima. He does already have a win over Isner, two and one in the career head-to-head. He beat him at the U.S. Open in 2021 last. I'm going to say it again, the kick serve. Oh, 
that Isner kick on this surface. It's going to get high up on the body of any returner. I mean, again, I think this is a good match. Who gets furthest in the section? Because, of course, the winner of Nakashima Isner. Oh, you know, not the not the best. You get Daniil Medvedev in round number two. I think Medvedev's going to win that match. So who you got in this one? It feels like it should be Nakashima, but it will be Isner, if that makes sense. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just like at this stage of the game, Nakashima should be the one winning this one. But Isner has been playing better the last couple of weeks. And like you said, former finalist here, you know, and who knows? <laughs> I mean, if John Isner ends up having the best BMP Paribas Open of the American men, that would be strange. And yet not totally, totally bizarre. I mean, just given the draw, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Medvedev has a total collapse, you know, and now all of a sudden he's in the third round where he could play, you know, Von des Anschlup and, you know, gets either, you know, still not totally together Zverev or Batista Gut in the fourth round. I mean, this could be a weird one for Isner if he, if he really catches fire, but I would, you know, for the sake of <sighs> propelling the next generation forward, you would hope that Nakashima figures this one out. Yeah. I mean, well said. I'll tell you what, Brandon Nakashima, what's his, uh, amongst top 50 players, where does he hold percentage wise? Mm, 87? Is that too high? I, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a good, it, it's funny you say that because it gets to the perception. He's 16th in hold percentage amongst oh I, I was players. oh i'm sorry i i gave a percentage what was his hold what is oh, his hold percentage yeah you guessed 89 yes it's a little too high he's 84.1 but <sighs> he has been holding serve at an elite rate and since the start of the french open last year he's flirting with that 87 88 range so not <laughs> too false by you dk no that was a good guess um like he's going to be willing to go plus one to plus one with isner and again he's seen the serve before another california guy I'm going Nakashima over Isner. I do think Medvedev beats him in the next round. I think that match is closer than the experts predict. Um, but I'm going to go Nakashima to lose in round number two. All right. Final quarter might be the most fascinating. And I do think this is where our lamp is going to emerge. As I think the draw has opened up perfectly for Francis Tiafo, who again is one of four Americans seated at this event. He's the 14th seed overall. Now look, an American's getting to the third round as Tiafo will face the winner of Alexander Kovacevic, who's won two challengers in the past month, one in Cleveland, one in Waco this past week. He's taken on a Marcos Giron, who... We've seen go on a run at Indian Wells here before. And, you know, a guy who, despite, you know, he's the, I always call him the anti-Shakira. His hips do lie. as two replaced hips. And yet, you know, again, has sustained himself a place in the top 100. Another former NCAA champion, by the way, Kovacevic and all, uh, in Giron, Kovacevic and All-American at Illinois. You didn't know Marcos Giron was an NCAA singles champion? No, no. I thought I wasn't sure which one you were talking about. Yeah, no. He was the champion. I've said this before. Do you know there was a team where Marcos Giron played two singles, Mackie McDonald played three singles, and that team didn't win the NCAA title? Um, like again, not a, not a stirring endorsement of college tennis, but no, okay. it's, it is a stirring endorsement. What do you mean? That's it because that again, team lost. You were, yeah, exactly. To whomst. Oh, very good. Oklahoma team, a dangerous oh. Oklahoma team. Oh my God. Axel Alvarez. Don't, don't, don't even get me wanna, started. I don't want to alienate your don't audience. Don't even get again, me started with this. If we're talking about things making team. sense, you would think, okay, okay a powerhouse but do you know team. Who won, do you know who won the NCAA championship that year? Is a USC team that had Yana Kaufman, top 100 player at the number one spot. Roberto Quiroz, top 200 player at the number three spot. Their number two was Ray Sarmiento, who was top 400 before getting injured. I'm not going to defend this. We're not doing I don't. And yet the best team that year was Virginia, who had no business losing in the semifinals to USC that year. Um, anyways, no, the best team was UCLA. Because Don't go to college, kids. Run away and join the circus. Russell <laughs> played five on that team. I mean, like, they were really good. Um, anyways, you know who I think is just, again, I think this is, I think Francis is a primetime performer. I, I just, again, we've seen Francis make multiple quarterfinals, not only at the slam level, at the masters level as well. You know, he has weapons in his surface and his forehand. Right now, Nakashima ranks 15th. Tiafo ranks 16th in terms of hold percentage. Excuse me, 16th and 17th in terms of hold percentage on the ATP Tour. I do think the Kovacevic matchup would be interesting with the Kova serve forehand into that Tiafo forehand. But you look for Francis, the seeds in his section, Dimitrov, Tsitsipas, Cressy. Uh, in his immediate section to get to the quarterfinals. Obviously, after that, he would face either if seeds hold a Rublev, a Nori, a Berrettini, or a Shapovalov. I think this is a really good section 
for Francis Tiafo. I think if he can find his rhythm early, a third round a match against Dimitrov would not be easy. But again, Dimitrov doesn't have that exceptional elite pace to really throw Tiafo's game off of a rhythm. I see Tiafo get into the Pass match. I think Francis is going to beat him. If Cressy, by the way, with his serving, doesn't beforehand, like I think this, I think Francis is the guy here this week. What say you? This is the kind of draw that I was kind of thinking Tommy Paul would have. Yes. Which it felt like based on momentum that that was the kind of place Tommy would find himself. And yet not mad that Francis, I'm glad one of them got it because Francis, this is a perfect draw for him. I mean, you just look at where he's the success against the top players that he's had. It's been against, a lot against Tsitsipas. And so I'm sure Tsitsipas is not happy to see uh, Tiafa looming, if not Cressy. This is, a, again, at every it, it's sort of the opposite where you feel like with, Tommy, like, oh, if he loses in the third round, if he loses in the fourth round, I mean, I would really, really look to see Francis make the quarters here. And I think he very easily could be that last American man standing. And I would be mad if I was Francis and I don't take advantage of the straw. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. Like, this is the window. And let's do the Cressy conversation quickly. Where are you with Cressy? Like, like, do you – I mean, again, like – He's top 50. I don't know. I have no words on Max Cressy. It just works. Like, he serves, he volleys. I think he's gotten better at the baseline. I don't Like, I don't think he, he'll be, ever be a top 10 guy, but I think he'll linger for a little bit. Like, when he's hot, he's hot. He's a niche player. Sure. I mean, like, it, it's different than, I think, like a Mackie McDonald, where I really struggle to, like, figure out where he fits in okay. the equation. I, I have a clearer sense of Cressy, even if maybe Mackie's results overall may even be better. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, Cressy's going to be one of those, you know, we, we had Karlovich for all those years, you know, someone who sure. really disrupted draws and was able to be a top 30, 40 guy for a long time. And so there's definitely room for that still on the ATP tour, whether that works, you know, on a slower hard court. I mean, Sitsipas has only made one quarterfinal at Indian Wells, and that was back in 2021. So has not been wildly successful at either of these uh, Sunshine yeah. tournaments. One quarterfinal each in 2021, and that's it. Uh, not not past the fourth round in any of his other uh, combined eight uh, six appearances. Yeah. So, Francis, big opportunity for either American to be uh, Steph. To be honest, Francis started the year last season eleven and ten. Then from Wimbledon onwards, from Wimbledon to now, Francis is thirty three and fifteen overall. You look for him during that stretch of time. He's made eight different uh, quarterfinals. You look against top twenty opponents, Tiafo five and eight. During that stretch of time, obviously got four of uh, three of those wins, excuse me, at the U.S. Open. But like, you know, again, you look for Tiafo in his career at the Masters 1000s. Francis Tiafo, seven and fifteen overall versus top twenty players. He's made the quarterfinals two different times. He did it in Miami 2019, Paris at the end of last year. Like again, if he is a top ten guy. He goes and beats Tsitsipas again, who he has beaten in a big stage, obviously, Wimbledon first round a couple of years ago. Dimitrov is solid, but again, if Francis wants to be a top-tier guy, that's who you beat right now at this stage. Look, again, do I think Cressy could beat Tsitsipas? I definitely do. I could see Cressy just having one of those days serving-wise, and he's going to face the winner of two qualifiers, which is no guarantee for Max Cressy, who, by the way, like, Get some wins here. You're in the top 35 going into a tough clay court stretch. That would be huge for Maxime Cressy. How far does Tiafo go? This is where we can wrap today's show, DK. I mean, if if Labor Cup matters, pause for laughter. Uh, Tiafo has won three of the, the last four matches against Tsitsipas, the one yeah. outlier being the Olympics, which was a weird one because there was no crowd. So, sure. You know. um, how far does Francis go? I mean, I would expect him to make the quarters at the very okay. least. Um, can he beat Rublev? Sure. Yeah, he's got a pretty good record against Rublev yeah. in, at, in on U.S. hardcore. So I'm so. saying this section in general. Now Nori would be the interesting one to me, or more than anything, Berrettini. Like the Berrettini uh, serve into the Tiafo forehand. That's a bad matchup for Francis. Yeah, but is Berrettini healthy? Again, yeah, he's coming he's off of injury. So receded, sort of in my mind. I'm just like, who even? Sure. <laughs> and he was someone who was. Top two favorite twin Wimbledon last year. I mean, he like, was things the male, really. He was the male Pagula in 2021, where it was like, oh, he's getting to the big stage, and then he's losing to Djokovic. Mm, right. Yeah. Fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I 
Baratini so, has so many more weapons than Bakula, so it's hard to avoid. It's, yeah, yes. but I'm saying role-wise. They played the same role of like, oh, you're going to beat everyone until you play Djokovic slash Iga. I see, I see you cribbed the breakpoint notes yeah. <laughs> from this episode. Um, yeah, I, I think Francis Francis is the one guy who I, I am somehow most confident in his ability to make the semifinals more than more than Paul and perhaps just a little bit more than than Fritz. I think mm-hmm. just more than Shelton. given given the Shelton. Yeah, yeah given the Shelton. I'm just this draw is just it's a good one. It's a really good one for Francis and he's going to be on, on home soil going to have the crowd he's probably going to get some good night matches and i would expect him to really make 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 a real run at this and again if he doesn't that's kind of rough because you know unlike shelton francis is not how old has been 19 yeah, just <laughs> 14 20. years old yeah it turns 21 yeah, so in I mean, october yeah so i mean that's Although, um, by the way francis turns 25 this year like he's not exactly old it's true it feels like we've known him for a decade yeah, we have, 25 yeah. in march he was still uh, very, January, was very young when he uh, was playing the juniors at that yeah. 2014 junior U.S. Open. So, I mean, it's still plenty of time for him, but I would I would look for him to really make the most of this. And yeah, I would be a very interesting semifinal against potentially Medvedev or Joan Isner. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's the, he's the one who I would expect to be the last. He's the one I am most confident in being the last American man standing. I don't know if I thought that before the draw came out, but, you know, the draw is very illustrative of, of what is possible. In these, yeah. sorts of, in these sorts of scenarios. I also think this is the first time we've done this sort of preview show where we've actually had the draw available to us, DK. So that had to have been nice. Isn't it nice? Eh. You so often box me into these draw previews without a draw. And I think, no. but the draw's not out yet. And you're like, here's the link to the Zoom. And I'm like, but I, yeah, I, but I like the idea to be imaginative, to project, to forecast, to dare I say dream about what could happen as opposed no, I, to deal with the reality of what is happening. I'm more of a Chris Everett who famously was at the draw <laughs> ceremony a couple of years ago and they were asking her questions and she was like, I got to look at this. And was like, had the draw open. And then they're all kind of just looking at her with the mic and just kind of waiting for her to have an opinion. She's like, where's Serena? <laughs> you know, just sort of like, sort of a stream of conscience. Like I'd rather, I want, I, I, I mean, I'm an English major. I like text. And the, for me, the draw is the text. Very well said. Well, with all that in mind, again, that's your look at the American men heading into Indian Wells. Any final thoughts, DK? Any things you have to plug before I let you go? I'm good. This has been really – I'm really excited. But I, I don't even think it hit me that this is going to be one of those post-Big 3 draws. And no offense, but I really enjoy them because you know that one of the Big 3 guys is not going to win for sure. And it's going to be a different you know, permutation. And that will be interesting. And that will really set us up potentially for how the next couple of months go. Because there's going to be one or two or three guys coming out of this – swing with more momentum than they might have had if things were arranged a little differently so i'm, I'm looking forward to this one yeah uh very well said very and well said with all that in mind dkt on twitter tennis.com to read it all um yeah i think it's gonna be fun uh, i'm excited for the next not just two weeks the next month i think it's gonna be really good tennis and i think on both sides again a pecking order is emerging you're not gonna have the big three on the men's side so again who wants it Let's roll the balls out. Let's find out. Uh, Shout out to you, as always, for joining me twice in two days. That's very, very kind of you. Shout out, of course, to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. He has a of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Uh, Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic David Kane, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. DK, what do we tell our listeners? That's the American break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, DK. Das Vidania.